God of glory, there is absolutely none like you. What an incredible thing for us to de- together to declare with each other that there is a God of glory and there is none like him. And we actually have access to this God of glory through the work on the cross that Jesus Christ did there, bringing us into relationship with both him and the Father. What an incredible truth that we can hold on to with all our might. Hey, let's get back into the word together now. And uh, last week, I love, I love Jasper and his kickoff to this new sermon series that we are in that's called Real Church, Romans chapter 12. And uh, we're going to be taking 12 weeks to, to work our way through this chapter. And, um, and I'm trusting already, based on what we saw last week and heard last week, that the Lord is going to use this chapter in Romans to have a high impact into the life of our church. And, uh, and so last week, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by what? By the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And this is our spiritual act of worship. When I look at that verse, when I think in terms of the mercies of God, let me, let's think about something for a moment. What are your top two, personally speaking, what are your top two mercies of God that he has extended to you? Here's where my head goes. My two top two favorite mercies of God, and you know they are countless and they are new every morning, but this is what it is for me. Number one, the first mercy, the biggest and most important mercy for me that God has extended to me is the gift of my salvation. When I, when I take a look into my past and I consider my life and who I was before the mercy of God was poured out on me and he brought me into relationship with him, I am undeserving of such an incredible gift, but he gave it to me. And so I celebrate this mercy of God. And here's the second one. And I've been, I've been accused of being morbid as it relates to this one, but here's the second one for me. First, Salvation, second, is a mercy that is yet to come, but it is still promised. And that's the day where Jesus Christ decides it's time for me to stand face to face with him in eternity. No longer suffering the things that this world has um, to, 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 to run before me, but I will be standing face to face with my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an incredible mercy it will be that I will be able to stand face to face with him in eternity. These are my two greatest mercies. These are the ones that serve to be a motivation for me to present my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. That being my spiritual act of worship, they are my motivators. A cause to worship, a cause to want to please Jesus. Let me remind you of what Jasper said last week. If we are worth dying for, and that's what Jesus did for us, if we are worth dying for that incredible mercy, then he is worth living for. If we are worth dying for and Jesus died for you, then he is absolutely worth living for. If you go to our website, this is what you're going to see. Check this out. 
We are being transformed. That's our key word today. We are being transformed by what? The power and presence of God. And so before we go any further, I want to make this point. Transformation cannot happen apart from the power and the presence of our God. And this is what our mission statement says. This is the desire of every elder, every pastor, every deacon, every small group leader. I pray it's the desire of every parent. This, this is our mission that we would glorify God by making disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. Mission will be accomplished when that is what we do, when we are about making disciples for Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 with me real quick. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That is our goal, to be to be mature in Christ, to be transformed from what I look like now to being to looking like my Savior, Jesus Christ. And that brings us to today's passage, transformed. That's our word for the day, transformed. Transformed into what? The image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, um, John the Baptist, when Jesus had came, had, he, had, he had entered the scene, he is now on the scene. His disciples are asking, John the Baptist's disciples are asking him about this person, Jesus. And this is what John says. He is here now. He is here now. That means Christ must increase. And John says, I must decrease. Christ must increase and I must decrease. He must be the one elevated and I must be reduced. And that is what it means to be transformed, that we would take on the likeness of Christ and that we would lay aside what our personal preferences are, our desires are, and that we would want to look like Jesus Christ. So here's some things to ponder as we move into what it really means to be transformed into the image of Christ. If you are a Christian, let me ask you this question. I want you to ponder this throughout the course of this message. Are you someone that's living a life of fulfillment? How do you respond when God makes his will for your life evident? How do you respond to it? Are you quick to receive his will for your life? Or are you someone that's like, uh-uh, I don't want that for me. That road is too hard. I don't want his will. Are you one that, that is tempted to assert your own will? Well, here's what we need to keep in mind. With Christ or not, whether we are in relationship with Christ or not, if you are an unbeliever that's watching on, we are all created to bear the image of God. We absolutely are. If you were born into this world, you were created to bear the image of God. And as we are in relationship with Christ, we will not experience the fulfillment that he has for us if we are not falling into submission to his will and we are not permitting ourselves to be transformed into, into the image of Christ. We are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world, but rather we are supposed to be transformed by the renewal of our mind into the image of Christ. That's what transformation means. And then as God presents his will to us, we will find his will acceptable and pleasing and good. So that's what we're going to look at today, transformed into the image of Christ. And uh, before we get into it any further, let's pray. Father, we invite you right now and ask 
that your word would be what um, that your word would be what communicates. Lord, the truth of this passage, I pray that you would pour it out into the hearts of your church. Lord, as I is in my mind, I look across the faces in our church and I see where they sit on Sunday morning. I pray your hand of blessing would be upon them. Lord, touch each heart where it is. Lord, where the, the heart is hurting, Lord, bring healing. Where the heart needs to be convicted, it's kind of hard. I pray that you would bring softening and conviction. Where the, where the heart is, Lord, that's discouraged, I pray that you would bring encouragement and that you would do it through the mighty power of your word as you take it by the might of your Holy Spirit and use it in the life, in the life of your church. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, this is what Jasper preached last week. Just as a reminder, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. And now today's verse, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed. There is our word for the day. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Transformed. What does that mean? Well, before we go to what it means, I want you to know it was only used a handful of times, um, a couple of times in the New Testament. And first we find it in Matthew chapter 17 and Mark chapter 9. We see Jesus being transfigured as Moses and Eliza show up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus takes, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, and he goes up there and he meets with, Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah, and the disciples see him, see the glory of the Lord poured out on the person of Jesus, and they see him being transfigured, being transformed. They're seeing him. They're seeing the glory of the Lord being poured out on him. They loved it so much. The transformation of Jesus was so incredible that they didn't even want to leave. They wanted to stay there. They offered to build tents for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. They just wanted to stay. And then we see transformed or transformation being used again in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And this is the beginning for us. This is the beginning for you, Christian, brother in Christ, sister in Christ. This is where true transformation is actually begins. Transformation. But when one turns to the Lord, this is the beginning. When one turns to the Lord, this is really what it takes. If there's any effort on our part to come to Jesus, it's simply recognizing the garbage of our world and turning from it and fixing our eyes on Jesus, turning from it, and then he is the one that removes the veil. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with what? With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. What an amazing passage of scripture. When we turn our eyes on the glory of the Lord, when we permit ourselves to look on the glory of the Lord, the transformation begins from one glory to another. And this even declares that it's a lifelong process of us taking on the image of Christ, the likeness of Christ, being transformed from what we look like now 
to looking more like Jesus as we move on in our relationship with him. Our being transformed, it's an inward change as Christ pours his spirit out on us. It needs to become more and more this outward expression for people to see that we actually have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And just a reminder, it takes patience. This is a lifetime work. We don't come to it immediately. It's a lifetime of successes and failures as the Lord brings us through and uses the events of life as he brings his will to bear in our lives. He uses these things in order to transform us into the image of Jesus Christ. All right? So transform, transformation, to be transformed. This is what it means to us, and it brings us to today's passage. All right? Here we go. We must not, we cannot conform to this world. So as you look at the verse, as you look at the verse, um, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world. It also means, it could be translated this, um, to, to this world also means to this age. What does it mean to be conformed to the world? Simply put, it means to accept the mindset of the world, to accept the mindset of this age. It's a me first. It's a me first mentality. How will this world and the things of this world serve me? You begin to think like it. You begin to act like it. You begin to sound like it. You take on the look of the world. That's what it means to be conformed to the world. And we're being told, do not conform to the world. And so, how it happens is like this. It's a constant repetition, repetitious consuming of the things of this world. So let me ask you a question. What are some of the things about this world that you easily embrace? I wrestled long and hard over this because as I, look over, as I look around the church and I see the faces of the church trying to come up with the exact um, or, or the ones that will hit the hearts of the people that are in our church, what are the things they wrestle over? I'm just going to simply ask you this right now. What are the things that you wrestle over? What are the things that you so easily embrace? The things that bring you pleasure the easiest. What are they for you? Now, let me remind you, many of these, these things may not necessarily be bad. They actually might be good things that you've received from the Lord. But these things that you're receiving from the Lord, you are using to serve yourself, not God and others. So they may not necessarily be, be bad. So let me take you back. Let me take you back for... When I, when I met Andrea, my late wife, I made it clear to her um, the things that I liked to do before we got married. So it was kind of a, an unwritten prenuptial agreement that I had expected Andrea to join me in. And, uh, and so I made it clear to her before we got married, hey, listen, when the springtime comes, I like to fish. And so I make sure I go fishing. And then, and then from April until the end of September, every other weekend, and three nights a week, I play slow-pitch softball. And so these are, see, these are the things. I, so what am I saying? I expect you to come along with this and to serve me. And then when softball season is over, guess what comes around next? It's hunting, hunting season. And so we have a hunting camp in northern Pennsylvania. I like to go up there, you know, a couple of times through the fall. I go up for a week to hunt at the end of, or for deer season. And so here's essentially what I was saying. These are things I expect you 
to join me with, that you need to be okay with. These, are, these were bold requests I've made of her to be okay with these things. This is what I said. What is it for you, though? Maybe some of those things I just mentioned hit you right between the eyes. And these are things that you use for your own personal satisfaction to serve you and not others. Again, they may not be, they may not be bad things, but how do you use them? What is your intention for them? Maybe it's music. Maybe it's gaming. I think about a time where the repetitious experience of the game, how it impacted our son Josh. Josh, I'm going to use you as an example right now. We were traveling from somewhere in the south to somewhere in the north, long trip. The kids, the kids were passing around this little Game Boy, and they were playing this game called Pokemon. I don't know which one it was that did the chasing in the game, but because Josh had played it so many times throughout the course of that trip, he started having nightmares that I'm going to say it was Yoshi, that's the only one I know, was chasing him in his dreams and he couldn't get away from it. The repetitious nature of doing what we do oftentimes reveals what has become an idol in our hearts We use it, we become conformed to the world because we're using it to serve ourselves. Maybe it's your career. Moms, stay-at-home moms, you're seeing a career that's calling you out that you believe you would find more fulfilling. Maybe it's a self-promotion or self-preservation or some form of self-indulgence. Maybe you desire money or influence or position or power or even control. How will it serve me? is really the big question here. How am I using the things of this world to serve me? Because if I'm using them to serve me, I'm being conformed to the pattern of this world, and we're being told to not conform to this world. We're to be a living sacrifice, Jasper shared with us last week. So why is it so easy to conform to this world? This is why it's so easy. Because our flesh, remove Jesus Christ from us for a moment. Heaven forbid. Now see yourself standing in your flesh. Your flesh is of the world. And so your flesh is going to constantly, constantly be drawn back to the things of this world because that's where it goes. That's what it's used to. That's what it wants. Your flesh desires it. That's why it's easy to conform to the world. What happens? What happens if we conform to this world? Well, brother in Christ, sister in Christ, this is what I believe happens. You live in a lifetime of dissatisfaction. Whatever that thing is, whatever that, um, um, that thing is that you use to serve yourself, I want you to think about that for a moment. When you use the things of this world to satisfy yourself, you experience dissatisfaction. And it drives you to want more of what you had. And when more becomes not enough, you want more than that. And so you go after it. So if I could be really candid, men, this is how it works in the mind of a man or, or, or um, someone that's struggling with purity. I saw a picture I shouldn't have seen. Wow, how captivating was that picture. You know what? I've looked at that picture over and over and over again. It's no longer satisfying. What do I need? I need something else. So I go to another picture, and then I go to another picture. And before you know it, still shots aren't enough. I need a video. And when I look at a video, the video no longer satisfies me. So what do I do next? I have to take it into real life. And when I take it into real life, you see the progression that happens. 
when we, are, when we are determined to take on the thoughts of this world, to be conformed to this world, and we use the things, we, that, that we use the things around us to serve ourselves. A lifetime of dissatisfaction. That's what, that's what promises to come if you conform yourself to the world. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, and this is what it says um, regarding that. For all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, now think about it, the desires of the flesh, and sometimes these aren't even things that are bad, but we're using them for our own personal gain. Desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. That sounds like a a conforming to the world. It's not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world, this is it, church, the world is doing what? It is passing away along with its desires. It's going away. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. And we're about to look at that, being satisfied and pleased with the will of the Lord. But as you can see it here, the things of this world are passing away along with its desires. It's not going to satisfy. It will not satisfy. And so I want to challenge you with this. If you're going to spend your life loving the things of this world or conforming to it, I would, say, I would suggest that you do it to the fullest and do it for a long time because the one that continues to pursue the things of this world is proving that he is not of the Lord and it's proving a separation from God that means an eternity that's not a pleasing one. That's a hard and a sober reality for the one that is deciding, I want what the world has. I don't want what God has. So here's the big question as we move on. How are you currently conforming to the world? What is it? How are you conforming to the world? And here's the big truth. To simply resist, to not be conformed to the world. It's not enough. That will not be enough. And here's why. Because again, a reminder, you're tied to your flesh and your flesh wants to be drawn to the world. There, there, while you should resist, there needs to be an inward transformation. There needs to be a change of affection that says the things of the world don't satisfy. I do not want them. There's only one thing that can satisfy, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. There needs to be a change of affection in our hearts. And so how do we do that? How do I not become conformed to the world? That brings us to our second point. We must constantly renew our minds. Look at the passage again. Do not be conformed to this world, but what? Be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. You are what you consume. You are absolutely what you consume. Now listen, when I was in seventh grade, I consumed this called the the, the song by the Jay Giles Band called Centerfold. I had no idea. I had no idea what that song meant. None. But I listened to it over and over and over again till guess what? I started sounding like it because I started singing the lyrics. And it was, I was in like college or, or just out of college and I heard the song again for the first time and I was like, oh my goodness. I am now hearing the lyrics of this song that I never heard before. And because I was consuming it as a child, I was sounding like it. I had I had I know the songs to or the words to that song word for word. 
You are what you consume. I wish I had a different answer for you right now. So how do you renew the mind? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you that again. How do you renew your mind? How do you think the Apostle Paul is saying that we should renew our mind? It's, it, you know what? It, it's the most simple answer, but it's the one I feel like sometimes we get tired of hearing. I believe there is only one way to renew the mind, and that's by spending time in God's Word. Constantly filling is necessary. You are what you consume. What you consume. I know a guy that one, I heard one time, a long time ago, he said, this is why I don't go to church and this is why I don't read the Bible. Because I can't tell you what I heard in church 20 years ago, and I can't tell you what I read in the Bible even last week. Well, let me ask you this. If you decided, since you can't remember what you had for dinner three weeks ago, or you can't remember what you had for lunch two days ago, or you can't even remember what you had for breakfast this morning, you're just going to stop eating? Because that's really the message he communicated. Because I can't remember, there's no sense in it. Well, I'm here to tell you, church, that there is absolute sense in it. You are what you consume. Even if you can't remember what you read yesterday or the day before or what you heard in church or what your small group discussed or whatever, over time, as you consume the Word of God, your mind is being renewed, you are filling it with the things that you should fill it with, you are pushing out the thoughts of the past and songs like the Jay Giles Band, you don't think about it anymore, awful thoughts, awful images are being pushed out because you are renewing your mind and your affections are changing as you do that. Think about it this way. Well, hey, let me, let me make this point to you. Sometimes... Sometimes the Lord, by His will, brings things into our lives where we do remember. We do remember the Scripture. Because, now listen, when I was in college, I went on a missions trip to McClellanville, South Carolina, after one of the, I think it was Hurricane Hugo, and I remember a meal I had in 1991. Why? Because it was spectacular. It was shrimp wrapped with bacon in a, in a plate full of crab legs, it was, it was amazing. And you know what? It was memorable. I remember what I had to eat at that dinner in 1991, all of those years ago. You know what? I also remember Psalm 139. I've shared this with you over and over again, church. When my wife was in a car accident, laying in a coma, the Lord brought to me Psalm 139. Guess what? I remember it because of what it meant to me in that time. I consumed it, and now it's a part of me. It's a part of me. What you consume is what you become. You know what else? God's going to provide. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. You may not remember it in the moment, but this is what he says in John um, chapter 14, verse 26. He says, I have the Holy Spirit that I'm going to send to you. I'm going to send the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. You know what? In your moment of need, if you consume the Scriptures, He's going to bring to you in your moment of need the very passage that He intends to use to address whatever that moment of need is. Man, I love that. Personally speaking, this is how I've seen it work in my life. Scripture bears testimony to it. 
And my life is a witness to that testimony of the scripture. I used to, man, I struggle with perfectionism. I absolutely struggled with perfectionism. It still haunts me. And that drove me um, to anger, to impatience, to me arranging my world around me to suit my kingdom. You would pull in my driveway and the edges would be sharp. You'd walk in my house, you wouldn't see a stain anywhere. Carpet would be perfect. Everything would be in its rightful place. Kids acting like they should act. Dog laying by the fire looking really sweet, not causing any trouble. This is, this is the heart of the perfectionist. But as the Lord forced me into a place of consuming his word, he sent me this message through my wife. He said, Todd, people are more important than possessions. And when you treat your possessions like they're more important than people, people get hurt. When you consume the word of God, he changes your affection. He changes your affection. And here's a warning for you. If you're deciding, you know what? It's too hard. I'm not going to consume the word of God. It's way easier to go after the things of the world. I want you to take some time in Romans chapter 1. Because Romans chapter 1 is very, very clear. This is what happens if you choose the things of the world to conform to the thinking of the world, to go after the things that this world says will satisfy. If you're choosing that, he is eventually going to turn you over to a debased mind to do things that you ought not to do. Your mind will become so corrupt because you've used the things of the world to bring you satisfaction that it's not even going to matter to you anymore. There is a price to pay if you don't renew your mind with Scripture. All right, let's keep going. So what happens when, okay, what happens when, you know what? I am, I'm experiencing a change of affection. My mind is being renewed with Scripture. The things of this world are becoming less and less and less important to me. What happens next? That brings us to our third and final point. We will live the will of God. And when I say that right now, I know some of you are like, uh-uh, nope, I don't want the will of God because I know where the will of God takes me. It oftentimes is not where I want to go. I don't want to do it. But listen, as your mind is being renewed with the Scriptures, as you are laying aside the things of this world, He is transforming your affections and He is, going, he is proving to you that His will is what? It's good, it's acceptable, and it's perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now listen, I'm like, as I came to that portion of, the, of this verse, I, my head goes back to what the staff said to me. Hey, Todd, why don't you be the one to preach on the, on the kingdom of God last December? And I'm like, this is great. Give me the absolute biggest thing that you can possibly imagine to preach on. And I want you to preach about that in 40 minutes. It's awesome. That was the most taxing sermon I've ever had to write. Because 
God's kingdom is so magnificent. And then I come to this, the will of God. Well, that's a really close second, I would say, to the kingdom as it relates to how big it is. I have a really difficult time sharing with you right now. I would about what the fullness of the will of God is. But let's keep this simple, okay? What is the will of God? I want you to keep it small, and I want you to keep it personal. And this is for you, the individual, okay? Don't think, don't think will of God as it relates to what's he doing with coronavirus, or what's going to happen in our next election, or what's going to happen in the world if, and no. Let's bring it down to the simple as it relates to you personally, okay? Here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12 say this, having predestined according to the purpose of him, you have been predestined. So listen, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Here's what that says. You have been predetermined according to the purpose of God that he is working in you such that all things, all things are working in accordance with the counsel of his will so that you would be to the praise and glory of God. You were born into this world for one purpose and that is to declare the glory of God. To declare the glory of God. That's what Ephesians chapter 1 verses 11 and 12 says. If you, want to know, if you want to know what the will of God is, that's what it is. He's working all things according to the counsel of his will so that you would be to his praise. And 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says this, For this is the will of God, this is the will of God, your sanctification. And if you bounce on down to verse 7, For God has not called us to impurity, but to holiness. And holiness, the life lived with, of, a life lived in holiness is a representation of a person that has had a change of affection in their heart and now desperately desires to know and represent the person of Jesus Christ in their life. The will of God for you is that you lay aside the things of the world. It's you receive a change of affection you now, the Lord has stirred in you your love and affection for him. And you want nothing more than to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him, making that your spiritual act of worship. You know, there's some words in that verse that kind of, they kind of throw me a little bit. Testing. What did that mean? That by testing you might discern, that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable. Acceptable testing and acceptable. The ESV says that by testing you may discern. Then New American Standard says, so that you may prove what is the will of God. Listen to how the NIV says it, that then you will be able to test and approve. Right now, you might not be okay with the will of God. Maybe you can't even accept what it is, and you're like, nope, that's not acceptable to me. It's not pleasing to me. But as you live in relationship with the Lord, as he changes your affection, as he proves to you over and over that his will is what's best for you, 
as you lay down your own will for your life, you will find that the will of God is exactly what this passage says, that it's good and that it's acceptable and that it's perfect. And that's it. That's exactly it. It's on us to lay aside the things of the world, to not be conformed to this world, to be transformed from the pursuit of that, be transformed by the renewal of our mind, and then walking in the will of God and actually being pleased with it and accepting of it. So as we bring this to a close, let me put it in a nutshell. Here's the way the world thinks. In 2014, Burger King changed their slogan. After 40 years, Burger King changed their slogan, which already was a selfish one to begin with when it said, have it your way. I don't know about you, but there was a time where I loved the Whopper with cheese and extra mayo and ketchup and hold the onions. Have it your way. That's exactly what I did, and I loved it. I loved it. I loved their fries. I loved everything about Burger King. I haven't been there in years and years. They changed it in 2014, to be your way. Not have it your way, but be your way. This is the thinking of the world. And this is why they said they were changing it to what they were. Burger King made a statement that their new model is intended to remind people that this, they can, they can and should live how they want any time. Let me say that again. Be your way is their motto, and this is why they wanted to remind, to remind people they can and should live how they want to at any time. Your life is on you. Live how you want. Pursue the things you want. It's all about you. Christian, my question to you is this, where are you right now? as you are being called to not conform to this world, as you're being called to transform, to be transformed into what? Into the image of Christ. To put off yourself to today. Look, to, to tomorrow, look more like Christ than you did today and less like yourself than you do today. Transformed by the renewal of your mind as you pour scripture into your mind. Accepting the will of God and how good and acceptable and perfect it is. Where are you at right now? What are the things in your life that, that want to draw you away? It's time to lay them aside. It's time to renew your mind. And it's time to be transformed. Look at our mission statement, church. It's to glorify God by, make, by making a disciples who exalt Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's my personal goal for myself. That's my, my goal for my family. That's my great desire for this church, that you would, that we would together be disciples that exalt Jesus Christ. And when that happens, we are transformed and we can say mission accomplished. And so let's together, church, run toward this, transformed, so that one day we'll be able to say mission accomplished. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the power of your word. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that your word was declared today in such a way that it would have an impact into the life of your church for your glory, Lord. Help us to lay aside the things of the world. Lord, give us a new hunger and a desire for your word 
that we would devour it, that we would consume it, that we would let it transform us, that would change our affections and make us want the things you have for us, loving your will for us and seeing and knowing that it is good and acceptable and perfect. We pray this in Jesus' name. you created trading your crown for a cross willingly die an innocent life they cost counting your status as nothing the king of all kings came to serve washing Covering me with your love. Let's sing this. If more of you means less of me, take everything. Yes, all of you is all I need.